name is Joshua. Welcome to the Full of Zeal podcast. I'm here with a special guest, Dale Mast. Welcome to the show, Dale. Great to be with you today. Looking forward to it. I, I'm so happy to have you on here. I, I had um, been reading uh, Dale's book, actually, uh, and Dale perceived he was king. Exceptional book. And um, it was funny because I didn't actually finish the book before I reached out to Dale. I was so impacted by what I had been reading. Um, and it, there was so many nuggets in, in the book itself that I was, I was like, I, I need to reach out to Dale. And so I reached out to him and he graciously agreed to come on this day. So um, yeah, I just, uh, why, don't, why don't you tell um, people about yourself for those that don't know you, Dale? Okay, well, I was raised in a Mennonite home. I came in actually uh, to really falling in love with Jesus around the Jesus Revolution. Actually, that movie that just came out was part of my life, not the drug culture, but actually being down there at the tent that they had mm. seeing Love Song in 72. Uh, when I was out in California, I'm actually living in Delaware, born in Delaware, but I went out like in a Mennonite-type Peace Corps out uh, about four and a half years in California. So I was right there when uh, that was launching in the Jesus Revolution. So uh, I pastored 40 years. I just retired. I'm traveling full-time as a, uh, an author, prophet, apostle, father, just helping raise people up uh, to their, their destiny. I always say this, you, you have not fulfilled your destiny until you help somebody else reach theirs. Wow. So, so in it, the destiny markers are not that you win, but that you help other people win. Mm. And so I can, I can go on to that, but so <laughs> I've been traveling internationally for decades, but now I'm doing it full time. Uh, this book, uh, and David perceived he was king. I believe you said, and Dale perceived he was king, but that works too. <laughs> that works too. <laughs> yeah, because, because this is, a, this is the truth. We're kings and priests. Until yeah. you sense your realm of authority, you'll never approach your destiny with the correct attitude. Right. I just want you to think about that for a little bit. And uh, we can go into that, but introducing myself. So I pastored 40 years, but I also, uh, I've written four books. I've gone to nations. And now I'm moving into what I feel is my number one call uh, to help other people hear the voice of God. Uh, and really, when I'm going to talk about the prophetic just a minute. Really, the prophetic is to help unlock your identity and your assignments. Mm. In the end, that's really the purpose is so that you do not miss your God purpose on this earth because you're God's one shot. You're, he put his, part of his genius in you, and there's no plan B. And a lot of times we have to understand that God has, he chooses men and women to represent him in the earth. And, and we need to take that seriously, but we need to have God speak to us for us to reach it. It doesn't come out of our own mind. It has to come out of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. But often through prophetic words, other people speak to us. They might be, we might have called them encouraging words, but they were actually speaking to our spirit. So they were prophetic in nature. And so it's really important. Uh, when I, when I uh, wrote this book, and we'll talk about that more later. But my main goal, it's about David. It's about me. But in the end, Josh, it's about you and your walk with God. I'm just using David and my life uh, to transition over to your life and what God is thinking when he looks at you. Right. Oh, that's so good. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I was reading in your book about how um, I like what you said about prophecy, where it's it's not a guarantee from God. It's mm-hmm. like there's there's always potential in prophecy. Um, can you can you talk a little bit more to that? Yes. Well, let's just take, first of all, the word of God. It's the law and the prophets. The scripture is actually the rules and the voice of God. Think about it that way. So the parts that we really like is where God talked to people and people talked back to God. They didn't always do the right thing. They didn't always say the right thing, but God always did. And so through the Bible, we see where God lays the rules that actually are good boundaries so we don't hurt ourselves. All the laws of God are actually to keep us safe and to give us a long life. They're not, it's it's like when your mother says, don't play in the traffic, Johnny, eight lane traffic. She's not doing that because she hates you. She's doing that because she loves you. So all the laws, but all of those laws are to keep us safe. But the voice of God is to get us on the journey we were made for. So if we can think of that, the Bible is the law and the prophets. And, you know, when we uh, look at the word of God, the most quoted parts of the word of God is what God said to like Joshua, uh, what Mary said back to God, uh, be it unto me according to your word. We remember that because that was the right response that let the word become flesh in the earth. Uh, we, we say only be strong and courageous. Well, you're actually stealing Joshua's prophetic word. But the principle is that when God speaks to any man or woman, it is an applicable truth for any of us. But the parts that we like to quote are normally other people's prophetic words and the, because they have the anointing for our destiny and purpose. It's very right. interesting. Yeah. But I want to just talk to the minute to the prophetic. Sure. If the Bible says uh, that there are many promises in the Bible, but they have to be activated by my obedience mm. and by my choice to believe. Just because I have the Bible does not make it work. If I, if I sleep and put it over my heart, it does not change me. But when I start to speak it, I start to live it, then every promise comes alive. So a prophetic word is just like the word of God. If it's not applied, it will not come to life if I don't, if I don't take a hold of it by faith. And actually, in 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul said he gave instructions to Timothy according to the prophecy spoke over him. So sometimes you need a father uh, who's in your life, when he hears your prophetic word, he has enough wisdom to know how to give you instructions to fulfill that word. So if you got a word like saying, Josh, you know, you're going to, you're going to, there's going to be thousands of people, tens of thousands of people in heaven because of your life. I think this could be true. And uh, uh, this could be God. Tens of thousands of people in heaven because of your life. And, and you're, God's going to use you even as a teacher. And you're going to raise up a generation to know their God, to do mighty exploits. And you say, wow, that's good. I'm going to get my card. I'm going to get on my, I'm taking my card. I'm going, I got a tent. And I, and I, as a father, an apostle like Paul, I say, now listen, Josh, I heard that word. Uh, I know you've been saved and you're excited. You've been saved nine weeks, but I'm telling you, you need to be a faithful part of the church for the next two years. Then we're going to send you to Bible school because if you get up to say what you know, you'll sit down in five minutes and you'll probably say some things wrong, but the world's going to help. It's hang on. God has other people. Mm. And then you start being on the outreach and we start. So when I hear the word over your life, 
I give instruction. A lot of people have words, but they don't have fathers instructing them how to walk that word out. Right. And that verse comes to mind. I, I don't know the address at the moment where it says you, you have um, 10,000 teachers, but very few fathers. Yes. And, and, and so how, how do you begin to, um, for those watching, begin to develop a place where you have access to mothers and fathers if you don't now? Because that, that instruction sounds invaluable to people's destiny and calling and purpose. Yes, and, and it is. And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for prophetic words and fathers and mothers speaking into my life spiritually. And I'm not exaggerating. They've, they've helped me. Now, I've had my own, I have to, you have to have your own go after it. You have to have a passion after your purpose. But if you look at that scripture, and I do a gathering of fathers. Uh, I'm doing one coming up in May. I'll do with the senior leaders. And what I try to do is not only just establish their fatherhood, and I'm talking about people that are anywhere from uh, even 50 to sometimes over 60, have never had their fatherhood celebrated. Mm. And uh, to help them raise up, not raise up sons, but raise up sons as fathers. See, I'm not a father because I have a son. I'm a father because I raise a son from a son to a father. And so we have to have a paradigm shift, even in how we look at these things. So this is what I'm saying to you, Josh, we're a little bit off the topic, but on it, my goal would be as a father to help you be a father to your generation. So we don't lose them. If I will not make you a father until you have gray hair or no hair, we will, Mm. you will lose your generation because the enemy has people fathering at your age, their generation by the enemy's hand. So God needs uh, literally the, uh, the people that are in their 25s. They still need a father, but they need to father 30. They need to father their generation with their voice. Now, what's interesting is that verse you quoted, it says yeah. there, uh, it's not many teachers. That's actually a bad translation. The actual yeah. translation is a boy, is like a boy coach, a boy. It's like somebody on your peer. You have a lot mm-hmm. of peer instructors, but you don't have many fathers because it's not a five-fold teacher because a father teaches. It means right. somebody your age who knows about as much as you, who's peer. You have a lot of voices around you that are your age, but you don't have many that have been ahead of you that can tell you how to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to me, uh, I would just end with this thought. Sure. The proof that I am a father in the body of Christ is not that I have 50 sons, but that I've raised 40 of the, I've raised 40 of the 50 sons to be fathers now. Right. They are not waiting for me to die. My, I, I wanted my sons to be fathers, be, and I didn't want them to become fathers mm-hmm. after I died. I wanted them to be fathers while I was alive. Right. Yeah. I don't know what Jesus was thinking when he picked these 20-year-olds to run his church. I, I just don't think he knew what he was doing, but we'll talk to him when we get to heaven. Why yeah, would you yeah, use these young guys? Yeah. Don't you love it? Anyway, so that was David, you know, he's a teen, and he's taking down Goliath. And I believe this Asbury revival, it's a revival of the youth Mm -hmm. that's coming again in a wave. 
And, and I pray that we as the older generation will know how to help you instead of hinder you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how do you begin to um, partner? You talked about a bit about agreeing with what the Lord says about you, agreeing with what he says about your identity. So in order to get David from the field into the palace, he, he needed to agree with the Lord. So how do you begin to do that? Well, uh, let me just start a little, little phrase and I'm going to backtrack. Sure. God told me years ago, he said, Dale, you and I can go places, but you don't agree with me about you. Mm. Now I was shocked. I thought, I can go places with God, but people aren't opening up the doors. I can go places with God, but um, uh, there's uh, the devil stopping me. I didn't realize what God was saying is, Dale, you're the one stopping what I have for your life. Mm-hmm. Now, that is uh, shocking. That was shocking. So the first thing I prayed, and everybody that's listening should pray, Lord, show me anything I believe about myself that is not true in your eyes. What And I also want to say this, what may have been true in the last season could be a lie in this season. Right. Okay, David, you're the shepherd. And so first of all, how does he transition? God gives him a prophetic experience. Now, this actually was prophet Samuel. He goes to Jesse's house. He pours oil over David's head and says, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Now, none of uh, Samuel's words fell to the ground, but this one probably knocked David to the ground. I mean, my own father didn't call me when the prophet came to choose the next king. He looked at my older, taller brother, Eliab, and thought, surely the Lord's anointing stands in front of me. I've had to live in the shadow of my older brother, sort of, you know, the high high school president, the the jockey, the the one who just was the all just everything. And here I'm overlooked. My father didn't even remember to call my name. Mm. Now, you know, his brothers were going to rub that one in after the prophet anointed him. And uh, so this is the part I say to people, your father's opinion of you is not God's opinion Mm. and neither is yours. And we have to transition uh, to really get close enough to God that we can see ourselves the way he sees us. Because if I don't see myself the way he sees me, I cannot do what he, I cannot, first of all, I cannot see what the assignment in front of me and I cannot see myself doing it with victory. Right. So, so in it, your identity is really key to your life's assignments. Right. Can I take a moment to explain the difference between the gift of faith and your identity? Yes, please. Okay. So, Josh, is there anything that you're known for you're good at? Are you a, are you, uh, do you play sports at all? Uh, yeah, it's been a while, but I, I'm probably more known for, I, I, I do acrylic art. Okay. Acrylic art. Okay. Now, do you know there are some, but there are, there are people, uh, they might be able to first get an inspiration and paint a a picture. Yeah. But they could not do more than another one or two. It it was sort of like almost a miracle that it happened. Mm. 
Right. You know, they somehow they had a picture. It came together. It's sort of like a person who writes a song and it becomes a number one hit, but they, they don't have a gift to write songs. Just God moved on them and they wrote a song, but there's other people. They have the gift to write songs and they can sit and write 50 to a hundred songs when they think, they think in songs, they think in rhymes, they think in, in chord progressions, they have a genius to articulate words. The other person tripped into it, and it was like a, it was sort of like a blessing, their faith, they, it was a revelation. But the other person has the identity, they're actually a songwriter. Right. So when you understand your identity, you sign up for the right assignments. I know many preachers, they'll write one or two songs that become famous praise songs, but they have somebody in their, uh, that leads their worship, they write 20 famous songs, but they're not known for preaching. So, you know, it's not that we can't do the other, but we should stick with our our, uh, identity, because when I stick with my identity, I'm getting into the thickest part of my anointing. I'm getting into the the purpose God made me. Right. And that is, and that's where you get delight. And uh, when you study, you get better at it. If you give yourself to it, you can actually become an expert in that area. Mm. So, so how do you, how do you begin to um, hold the tension between like going after your identity, but not self-promoting? Because it, take your take your example for instance. Say say I'm I'm a songwriter, and I'm I'm doing my very best, and I'm working on my gifting, and I'm working on on my craft. But you know I I see the call, I see the assignment, I'm wanting that to come forth in my life. But like you say, those those doors aren't opening. Um, mm-hmm. Where is that balance? Well, first of all. Um, let me just talk about the difference between pride and humility. Okay. We, in the church, we tend to approach pride with the Eastern religion that we say, I'm nothing. Mm. And he's everything. Right. Okay. Paul said, he never, he, he never said, I'm nothing. He started off saying, I'm an apostle of God. Mm. He, he, he declared his identity in the, every one of his chapters And then he would actually talk about it. But he said, without him, I can do nothing. But he said, with him, I can do all things. And so true humility is not beating myself down that I'm nothing, but it's lifting God up so high with my life that I give him all the glory, the honor that nobody ever thinks that it's about me, but it's about him. Now, you have to remember this. Uh, What we're about to do, Josh, what you're about to do is beyond you but it's not without you. God is looking for someone to show himself strong through. So this is the deal. Can God use your life to bring him glory? You're his poster uh, child in a sense in one area to say, I'm a great God. And if you don't believe it, look at Josh, look, look at what I've given him. And as you give glory to God for the way you move, then it causes people to look up toward him, not toward yourself. And I want to just throw this in. I, this is going to be in my next book. You know, sure. you really don't have the attitude of David until you have an older brother accusing you of having a wicked heart because you believe for something bigger than him. You believe you can take Goliath down and you're not even a warrior. <laughs> yep. 
Okay. So, you know, so there's a lot of room here and I will tell you this, um, a lot of people mistake confidence and pride. Yes. Okay. So being raised Mennonite, we were, we majored in humility. Mm. We, you know, it's, I don't know if you've ever been to Japan, but when they bow to each other and somebody that was Japanese pointed this out to me who lives there, he said, you will notice how they keep bowing. I, he said, you know what's going on? They're saying who can bow the lowest. And they're proud about who can bow the lowest. <laughs> okay. Because it, and so what started out in honor, humility now becomes a point of, you get it. Yeah. Point okay. of pride. So, yeah. It's a point of pride. So this is, this is the, the test that I find that I say to people when I bring two scriptures together, it says in the Bible that God will share his glory with no man. Now you believe that's true, right? Yeah. Yet in John 17, Jesus prays, Lord, I'm praying the glory you give me, you give to them. Now, which is true. We yeah. know they're both true. So the real question is this, how much glory can you handle from heaven in your life before you start uh, uh, pickpocketing, siphoning off the, te- the top, you start stealing some of the glory for yourself? Can you receive the glory from heaven and then give it all back? See, if you can, then God will give you other assignments. How much glory can you handle and still give it all back to him? Yeah. And this is this is really humility because that humility is totally obedient. We look at humility as uh looking sort of down at the ground, but I believe humility is full obedience giving him full glory. That's really true humility. I'm humbling my life before God by doing what he tells me to do. I, I would just give you an example. I was in Washington uh ministering just couple of prophetic words and I come in front of this woman and I hear the word moonshine. And I thought this is, you know, I mean, this we're at, we're in Bainbridge. It's like a yuppie community. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's sort yep. of an elite neighborhood. And, uh, and I said, I heard moonshine, new wine. And I said, Lord, I just, I'm going to give new wine because, you know, that just sounds more <laughs> impressive. Right. And the Lord said, let's do moonshine first. So I just looked at her and said, I said, moonshine. I don't know why I'm saying it. The woman, you know, she very stately woman. She just starts laughing. And she said, I'm actually from Virginia. And my mother was a moonshiner. And I'm about, wow. I'm about like, okay. But see, the thing is, it was not about the word, but I, in my flow with God as a prophet, I have to be obedient to even and so you know it's like when you do what he asks you to do every time you obey god or you use your gift he gets more of you and you get more of him right. this is this is like uh the um i call it the on the field uh sharpening of your gifts so, you know, I know soccer is probably bigger in Canada than than America, but it's coming up to be real big. You know, you can coach somebody, but they will never get better unless they play on the field. Mm-hmm. If practicing against their own squad has a limitation because they're on the same team. But when you put a goal and you, you keep that person in the game, you can take a person who's not that skilled. You keep putting them in a highly skilled game 
And if they have the aptitude or the gift, they will actually transcend normal training time because they're on the field. Right. And I've had that happen to me. Uh, if you want to get better at a sport, find somebody who can be that you're good at, somebody who can really beat you and learn from them, and your game will accelerate beyond anything you could believe. I've had it happen to me with a guitar, with tennis. As long as I played people that were just a little bit better than me, I never got better. Mm. So, so the thing is, you need to hang out with people that are fulfilling destiny. You need to look at people uh, that are going after it. And this is not about giftedness. There are a lot of gifted people that are not passionate. Mm. Some of the best athletes will never know because they had a gift that was so big, they never got serious about it. They coasted on their gift. And, and even in the body of Christ, that can happen. So we have to be passionate not about what you're saying about the self thing. We yeah. need to be passionate that we want to please him right. and that I know that I'm going to stand in front of him, not to be judged in uh, whether I'm going to heaven or hell. I'm, when I stand in front of him, uh, I want to know that I fulfilled, like David, I fulfilled my purpose in my generation. Right. Yeah. I want to be so far past, am I going to heaven and hell? I already covered that at the cross. And, yeah. you know, when when people live their whole life, am I going to heaven or hell? It's like you're, you're not a sinner saved by grace. You're a son who's seated by the throne of the Father. Yeah. You were, don't forget, you were saved, but that's not who you are. You're now a son of privilege, and yeah. you, God is expecting something. And, you know, sometimes... I'm not getting away from the blood of Christ, sinner saved by grace, but I'm saying this, if you keep looking at yourself as a sinner, you'll never become responsible to the father as a son. Yeah. So in it, now, if I'm a son seated by the right hand of the father, and he made me sit there, you ever have your mother make you sit somewhere? It says, it yes. says, father God made us sit there in Christ. So we didn't have enough sense to sit there, and we didn't feel like we were worth it, but he made us sit in Christ right wow. beside the Father. And once we get that into our spirit, that's the goodness of our Father, mm. we start acting like a different, uh, we have a different mindset, we start acting from a different identity. Right. So in that, in that process, because we can start to view the Lord as otherly, as holy, as apart from us. How do, how do you, in that, if he's making me sit there, how do I begin not to avoid that place with the Lord? Because I think that's the other pitfall, is that like one side is, is the self-promotion, it's the all about me, it's about taking the glory. The other side is, the false humility, I'm not good enough, I can't do that, I don't see myself as the Lord sees me. Where's, where's the intersect there? Well, um, that I will just put it this way. When, if I'm looking at my pride meter, that means I'm standing in front of a mirror looking at myself. Mm. The problem is people that have pride will never see it. Right. And the people that feel condemned will confuse it with humility. Mm. Let me explain. So let's suppose, and this has happened to me, where uh, I had a, uh, you know, I've had nights of 
unusual anointing, miraculous things happen. And a young man comes up to me and says, you know, Dale, that was, that was fantastic. That's, you know, that's really amazing what you did. And uh, if I respond to him, well, that was nothing. Now, I, I just put down what God did. Well, I'm nothing. I just put down who God created. Right. Okay, now this is, I call it demon dumb. This is really stupid <laughs> on a religious stick. Yeah. Stupid. You know, I should, so this young man come up to me and he said, Dale, you know, the prophetic thing, you're really good at it. I, I looked him right in the eyes and said, I know that's what God made me for. I only have one question. What were you made for? Because whatever it is, you're really good at it. Now, the deal is you have to get close enough to him to unlock your genius. I never knew that I would write a book that would go into nine languages, eight, nine languages. You know, this this book, when I when I was writing it, I'm just holding it up just to, uh, and David perceived he was king. When I was about three-fourths of the way through, I became so discouraged. I thought, this is not working. It's I. It's not my gift. And I had a pastor who was looking at some of the rough draft. He said, Dale, this is so good. You got, you, I can't wait to read the whole book. And I thought, wow. Now, see, this is part of how you figure out what your genius is. The Bible says, let everything be established in two or three witnesses. So because I think I'm a book writer doesn't mean anything. But when I have people stop me time after time, I just had a man who was 75 years old stop me last night in a service with tears in his eyes. And he said, uh, he was crying about some other things that I'd said that administered about a, a son that had passed away. But he looked at me, he said, Dale, he said, your book changed my life. And I knew this, that, and I told him, I said, I know it did because it changed my life to write it. I actually had a God encounter in this book. And I, I don't remember all of your questions. You can bring me back, but let me just talk about this for a minute. You know, uh, that when I would write this book, God would give, his spirit would come upon me. And I knew it was, I thought, well, you know, and I feel inspired. I'd write it down as fast as I could. When I'd wake up in the morning, I'd look at the words that I wrote. And sometimes I would know these words do not match what he was showing me. I would remember it more in the spirit than in my mind. And then I have to be an architect of words to find the words that would actually reflect what he was showing me in the spirit. Sometimes it would be 15 minutes, sometimes four hours. It changed me to write the book, but it also changed my identity. Because then I started realizing, and this might sound strange, being a pastor 40 years, traveling uh, as apostle, prophet, or just a father in the body of Christ. I use that. But that my number one gift could be being an author, that it will actually touch more people than anything else I've done. And as I received that, I've written three other books. I'm writing another book on David. And actually, part of this is a lesson. The other books are good. And I talk about sonship in one book, Two Sons and a Father. I get into that. Uh, and this part I want to say about that, you brought it up. Sure. Until you see God as your father, you'll never ask for the best of heaven. Ooh. I want to give you this little story, and we can, we're, we're just having fun here, right? We're just sort oh, of yeah. opening it up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's just suppose that, you know, you stumble in your, your father's house, and uh, you've had three too many beers, and you're not really living for God. You can go over and open up his refrigerator, right? Yeah. 
Because you're his son. son. Okay? But if I come in, now I've ministered to tens of thousands of people. I've written four books, gone to nations. I mean, I've, I've saved churches. I've done, if I go over and open up a refrigerator, he'll look at me like, what's wrong with you? But I'm actually more anointed than you. I'm more called than you. Uh, and I'm walking, not more called. I'm walking in my call. But why? See, this is the deal. It's, it's better to be a messed up son than a perfect orphan. Because a son has refrigerator rights. Wow. As a little boy, you, you know, you would have a key around your neck. Why? Because your father owns that house and he gave you a key. Well, the Bible says we have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Why do I need the keys to the kingdom of heaven? I'm on earth. Because you have access to your father's house from earth. Right. Now, not to go to heaven, but to unlock heaven, reach into God's refrigerator, pull down a miracle, pull down uh, a revelation, to pull down his love. And so uh, I've heard people say, well, he's not the God that's up there. He's the God that's with me. No, he's so big. He's the God that's up there and he's the God that's in me. Mm-hmm. Don't make him. He is both. He is that magnificent. So as if, and until, this is Joshua, I want to say this, until you live privileged in the kingdom of God, you do not have a full revelation that God is actually your father. Mm. Yep. You still have an orphan spirit that is the, it's due to the antichrist spirit in the earth, which is trying to strip us of our sonship in this, and I don't mean that, uh, in terms of a gender, I'm saying sonship is a, as a word of a relationship with the father. Yeah. Yeah. As, as our identity as sons and daughters. Yes. Sons and daughters. It's sonship. It, it's, and, and, you know, it's like, uh, 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 it's so important that I know how much he loves me mm. and how much I am his. I always tell this to people. You came from father God but you came through your father and mother, but they never made you. Mm. And so when we turn around and look at our parents to try to decide our destiny, we're not looking far enough. We need to look past our parents to father God to determine what is our purpose. We think we have to honor our father and mother, but I set my vision based off of father God, not my parents. Right. And in it, I will tell you this. He has dreamed dreams over you, Joshua, that you have yet to dream. And there will come a time when you dream them. I want to cover one piece, and then you can talk about this, on identity. This is the key part that I see between faith and identity uh, and how they interlink. Never, um, Never put one down or exalt the other one, but just realize it's like a car. You have oil, gas, water, all in the engine to make it work. You have electrical, you need all of it. Right. So when people say, what's most important? I say, I don't know. I think your, your arm or your leg. I think I like both of them. Okay. <laughs> so that's the way I look at it. Okay. So, so in it, David has the faith to take down Goliath. Yeah. He, he, just takes him. And, you know, I believe when David threw that stone, it was the biggest curve ever seen on earth. If you'll mm. throw it, God will land it. Mm. That was not an accuracy of David. He threw it, God landed it. Somebody needs to hear that. 
You're trying to get better as a sling thrower. And God said, if you have the faith to throw it, I have the ability to land it. Are you with follow me on that one? I'm, okay. I'm with you. So he kills David. He walks in front of King Saul. And uh, David had been around and he had seen the king's daughter. He knew part of the reward, not Michael, Merib, the oldest of King, of king Saul's daughters, would be the prize for any single young man. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out if I marry the king's daughter, what Samuel anointed me years ago, this is getting closer. We're getting hot. This is the path. I'm going to marry a king's daughter. He just did what no other man in Israel could do. He killed Goliath. He stands in front of King Saul and King Saul says to him, basically, I'm going to give you my daughter in marriage. Now, any young man would look at King Saul's daughter and say, she's ugly. You can keep her, you know, or she's cute. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm ready for that. You know, I mean, and of course, he had the other thing with money, taxes. He got no money because when the King Saul said, hey, I'm going to give you my daughter's in Hand in marriage. He didn't say line and bear. He didn't say thank you. You know what he said? He said, who am I and who's my family? David's faith to take on Goliath was fully functional. His identity was in the pits. Right. And what he did, he literally put himself down in front of the robes of Saul with the anointing still on his head. And God looked down and said, David, I have a problem. You just put him over what I said over your life. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to let him chase you till you agree with me. Wow. David had as much to do starting that problem as Saul. Mm. Saul had jealousy. David had inferiority. And God used Saul's jealousy to run inferiority out of David. Mm. Some of you may look at somebody and say, well, I think they're jealous of me. My, my question is, are you, are you insecure? Mm. Because God knows how to get rid of the insecurity because this is the reason why your level of insecurity, if this is where you're at healing, if you have insecurity here, when you come into power, it will turn into pride. Right. Hmm. So what God wants to do is get out the insecurity so you don't need the anointing to prove who you are, but you're using it to prove who he is. Right. Yeah, because you'll you'll start to use that anointing to prove your identity, to, to yeah. prove that I'm, I'm worth staying in the thing that the Lord has called me to instead of focusing on your assignment and your call. Yeah. Or, and that, let me go a little bit further. I'm doing this because he'd already made me worthy. That issue is settled. Mm. Now I'm now in it to prove his glory, not my worth. Right. If I'm doing the battle to prove to prove my worth, that is actually insecurity, pride. It's a wrong fo- focus. I'm looking on. I'm looking at me. When Paul said, "I, uh, I must decrease; he must increase," I don't think it was like he was just putting himself down. I think he was saying, vision-wise, I'm, I have him in view now, not me. But but my life is being run with him in view. I have an increased vision of him, not an increased vision of my ministry. But my increased vision of him increases my vision of ministry. But I'm I'm battling from the worth. In other words, you know, like, Josh, you need to be able to look at the, the enemy and say, you know, if I was you, I'd just leave me alone. I'm one of God's favorites. <laughs> if you yeah. mess with me, my father is going to, 
I'm telling you. And, and, and uh, you just believe that his favor opens up unusual doors for you. And his favor is to help you believe that he wants to use your life. It's not just for you to get what you want. It's to give you access to a level of anointing to do what heaven has called you and formed you to make, uh, to be and to do. Right. So uh, I I have one, one last question. We're running out of time here. Um, How, in your opinion, do you, do you feel like David could have got to that sooner? Or was that, was that always the route in the process if, that he had to go through to get to the throne? Um, God always gives us a prophetic promise to give us a greater vision of our life than we have to journey. Mm. With his father overlooking him, there was a lot of insecurity in David's identity Mm. Uh, in it. So what God did is God put him on a fast track King 101 Mm. and he took out the shepherd. And, and so God had to shift David. It started with him killing the lion and bear. That's, you know, that's really great stuff. Then he moves to Goliath and, and, And that's really, really powerful. His experience, I always say this way, David ran toward Goliath, a shepherd. He walked away a warrior. Mm. Until you let your victory shift your identity, you have not entered into the fullness of the victory. Wow. So he walked away a warrior, but, and not only that, he led the warriors. So he, it was like a double jump. But he still did not feel worthy to marry king's daughter, which tells us he has the anointing on his head to be the next king. He doesn't feel worthy to marry king's daughter. He doesn't feel worthy to be the king. So God has to put him through some calisthenic spiritually identity to where he starts to see himself uh, through the difficult times. God is forging his identity. And and we'll go through more in the book that we get ahead. But this is sort of like an overview. We're going to break some of these things down more in detail because these concepts are not easy to grasp. And I would encourage people that are in this podcast, buy the book. It's in eight languages. Follow along with us. Underline the book. Let it read about David, read about me, but then read what is God saying to you about your life? Because that's what I'm after. I'm after the David in you, that part that God has anointed. You may look like a shepherd, but there's a king inside of you. Yeah, come on. I, I so appreciate that, Dale. I, um, I, yeah, I, I had a hard time focusing on trying to come up with questions today because I, I was just receiving a, a lot from you personally. Um, so I, I'm honored that you've uh, come on the podcast. If if people want to find you, to find more about you, um, where can they locate you? Where can they find the book? Yeah, it's on Amazon and a lot of other outlets. And uh, I do have a website. I travel and uh, into we're going to Korea and to Brazil. We have some other things going on, but DaleMast.org, just simply my name okay. and. Uh, you, we try to keep it updated. I'm not real techie. We have some different people, but it's mostly there. And uh, 
they can follow that way. But, you know, uh, Josh, if it's okay, I'd like to just say a prayer for people that are watching this podcast. Absolutely. That, that, and then just, uh, uh, just to speak into their spirit with the declaration. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening, and I'm saying as I'm speaking, I'm speaking to, this, to you, Josh, and to everyone else listening, this is a time that God is shifting your heart so you can believe what he has for you in the next season. Your life has been set apart. He, Father God created you. He put part of his genius in you. And as you get closer to him, it's going to unlock so that you can give him glory with your life. And this is going to be an amazing transition. If you'll follow these podcasts, I will just tell you this. I will, if you will give yourself to the Lord, I will guarantee you, you will be at the next level because that's what I was created to do is take people to the next level. And when you get to the next level, then God will tell you more of what you were created to do. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much, Dale. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for imparting to our viewers today. And um, yeah, and if you get a chance... Please pick up this book. It is, um, it is very impactful, and you won't regret it. Amen. All right. All Thank right. you Bye. for having me on, Josh. We look forward to seeing you later. All right. Sounds good.